Earlier this week, you all got a joint message from the Board of Trustees and myself announcing my planned departure from the congregation at the end of this calendar year. It was startling news for many of you, I know, and I thank you for the kind calls you made and emails you sent me over the past few days in response to it. They were greatly appreciated. As I said in my letter, I will be sorry to leave you, you Wellesley Hills, and you good people here in December. I would have liked to have had much more time together with you. In addition to sadness, for me, there's also a certain unreality in this transitional time. Whenever a congregation calls a settled minister, it does so for an indefinite tenure. Yet suddenly, my indefinite time with you has a definite end date. That feels strange, but it is true. Perhaps you have heard me say it before, and no doubt you will hear me say it again. All religion is a reckoning with our finitude. Any religious life is supremely conscious of human limits. It understands that we are mere mortals, just creatures of the earth. All religion is a reckoning with our finitude. At any given moment, we are each trying to answer that question the poet Mary Oliver famously posed. Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Part of what makes this so interesting is that our wild and precious lives, all of them, are entangled with so many other wild and precious lives. And our annual Blessing of the Animal service reminds us that some of these precious lives are other than human and also especially dear. Growing up, several of us learned about mortality from a goldfish or a hamster or a parakeet, or possibly a parade of them over time, passing through the household between the cats and the dogs. We have stories about how they came into our lives and about how they left them, and stories about everything that happened in between. These stories are sweet and significant and important to tell. This morning, my husband Ben and I will be blessing our new cats, Luna and Stella and Abstentia. They were not feeling the cat carriers today. But we only have these two cats because of some fish we did not get in Somerville. And so I will tell you their story this morning. Some of you may remember my betta fish named Basho. I preached about him and his solitary life last spring. When Ben and I moved into our new house in Watertown, we bought Basho a nice big tank with a sophisticated built-in lighting system. There was enough room here in this state-of-the-art tank for what are customarily called community fish, much smaller fish, with considerably less aggression, who feed at different levels of the tank than a betta would. These fish can all exist, coexist peacefully. 
Since we like to shop local, we decided to go to an independent aquarium store in Somerville for some community fish. And because I cannot recommend it, I will not mention that store by name here. From the outside, it looked cheerful enough. There were brightly colored murals of underwater scenes painted all around the exterior. The inside was much darker, and the shopkeeper was churlish and abrupt. Ben and I both came to the Boston area by way of Philly and New York, and so neither of us is necessarily put off by surly or salty types. So the shopkeeper was rude to us and the other customers. So what? Maybe we had caught him on a bad day. What proved a deal breaker for me, though, was the way he handled the fish. He crashed around the various aquariums with his net and took the fish and sloshed them around in plastic bags and plopped them roughly down on the counter. He was too harsh with the fish, we decided, and we could not give him a penny, not even for the rare tetras that he carried. So we left that store and guiltily drove to a big box place in Newton, where the fish, interestingly enough, were kept quite attentively by a college student in marine biology who clearly loved his job there. It was on the way out the door that we saw the dogs and the cats that the animal rescuers were putting up for adoption, including two four-month-old litter-made kittens who slept soundly curled around one another. Our mission immediately became to keep these two together. Thankfully, we succeeded. Now in our house, we have a tank full of community fish and two sister cats who have commandeered our sunroom and made it their own. One is a black and brown tabby. The other is a ghost tabby who looks to be all black but is not. One is named for the stars, and the other is named for the moon. Luna and Stella still sleep curled around one another, a sight that never ceases to occasion a tender moment in my day. At their very best, our pets help us to soothe the savage beast within our own breasts, to soften our hearts and open our eyes and hands to lives fundamentally unlike our own. Tended properly, animals do indeed become our spiritual teachers. They instruct us in gentleness and patience and care. We know that human beings are social animals, meaning that we can collaborate around intended aims. But it's not always plain exactly what kind of animals we are and what the nature of our collaboration is. Are we herd animals? Do we follow herd instinct in ways that are unthinking or unreasonable as part of a larger mob mentality? Do we act like a gaggle? Do we squawk and scramble all over each other? leaving chaos and messes in our wake? Do we move in a pack? Are our patterns predatory and purposive and commanded by alpha males and alpha females? Do we school or shoal like fish would for the sake of our safety? Or are we another sort of animal altogether? 
The social metaphor that comes to us from our own ancient religious tradition is one that contemporary sensibilities resist most mightily. From the earliest days of the church, we humans were told to flock together. Jesus of Nazareth is known as the Good Shepherd for a reason. He speaks to his disciples a lot about sheep. Sheep in nearly every imaginable circumstance and setting. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus directs them to feed the sheep and tend the sheep and find any of the sheep who are lost. And by sheep, of course, he means individuals such as all of us. Leave no one alone, he tells them. Leave no one solely to their own devices. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, See, I am sending you out like sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Even in the midst of wolf packs, he tells them, flock together. That's not advice that we Unitarian Universalists find very easy to accept. Some of us are even inclined to use the term sheep derisively, as in the jest, what are we, sheep? We much prefer to perceive ourselves as autonomous agents, entirely unique in every respect. When we do that, though, I think we lose something some integral piece of our humanity. We create a distorted self-concept of our own importance and centrality. In her book, The Social Instinct, How Cooperation Shaped the World, psychologist Nicola Rahini contends that we humans have evolved to be a cooperative species and that, in fact, our future survival it depends upon our collective ability to learn to cooperate better still. It is in our nature to be cooperative, and it is also a dire necessity that we be cooperative. Not all forms of cooperation are adaptive, of course. For instance, corruption, bribery, and nepotism are obvious forms of cooperation, but they are antisocial forms. What we need now, most desperately, are pro-social and intentional forms of effective cooperation. Cooperation that expands our circle of moral concerns. The history of life on Earth is a history of teamwork, of collective action, and of cooperation, Dr. Rahini explains. The future of life on Earth will need to include much, much more of these. Some of you may have heard me mention the weird dress cult, as I call it, that I joined earlier this year. I joined this weird dress cult in 2021, but I started contemplating joining it in 2020. I was recruited to it by the fiber artist and author Clara Parks whose 2019 book, Vanishing Fleece, Adventures in American Wool, made her a leading advocate of wool and apparel. Parks is trying not only to save the sheep across these United States, but also to save the people who tend them and all the industries that support them. 
I had taken workshops with her in the past and had great respect for the work that she did. So when she recommended that her readers start the 100-day dress challenge sponsored by the company Woolland, I seriously considered it. In February 2021, I started the challenge, and in May 2021, I finished it. I was among the first thousand women to complete it. This required each of us to wear the exact same woolen dress for 100 days in a row, washing it as needed and leaving it to dry overnight, whatever the weather in our area was. Around the globe, women participated, sometimes with their mothers, daughters, sisters, co-workers, or friends. An online community quickly formed for these participants, where they shared not only insider sartorial tips, but also intimate glimpses of their lives. Forgive the pun, but it was a remarkably tight-knit community. Members shared about their personal and professional successes and failures, graduating school, say, or getting a divorce, or finally selling the house. One lost her husband over those 100 days, and another lost her battle to cancer and died on day 82. Everyone appeared to respond to others with unfailing kindness. One participant, an Episcopalian chaplain at Wellesley College, made international news when she completed her challenge and was given a second black woolen dress to wear as a reward. Another participant, a Lutheran pastor who dubbed herself a former clothes horse, wrote a poem about the challenge that she read on her podcast. It concluded, with a flock, all peoples, what a beautiful sight, what wonder, what tender mercy there be, found in a flock of people making a beloved community. Yet another participant, a Mennonite professor of theology, suggested that a straightforward way to help people form what she called vibrant, inclusive, and supportive communities was simply to have them all dress the same. To which a colleague of hers replied, guess the Amish had the right idea all along. How had we all been turned into such sheep within a matter of months? It started with each of us reckoning with our finitude, that is, making conscious choices about what we would and what we would not do. We would wear a uniform, we would share our photos, we would dress in wool year-round, and we would not run the clothes dryer, not even in the midst of a frantic week. We would be cooperative and collaborative. In their promotional materials, Woolland made a convincing environmental argument for a merino wool wardrobe. But they also made a persuasive case for all of us choosing another lifestyle. The materials reminded us refocusing on what's most important in life is imperative in this modern age. There's a subtle but real benefit to limiting our decisions. And finally, we all need to pause and remember what really makes us us. 
In this transitional time over the next three months at UE Wellesley Hills, I want everyone in this congregation to recall what makes us us and to remember what we believe is most important in life. How imperative it is to be part of something greater than our individual existences and our most immediately self-serving concerns. I want everyone to connect to the sweetness of belonging and of being part of, let's dare to call it what it is, a flock where we understand that our best intelligence is communal. During a difficult period such as this, it becomes painfully clear to everyone that church life is a lot of work and bother. It is. I do not deny that. As your senior minister, I know that all too well. Your trustees on the board know it all too well. If you have ever served on the board, you too know it all too well. But we also believe that this religious endeavor is worthwhile. And you do too. Please don't forget that. Choosing to belong to a church is one of the most countercultural choices that any of us can make in America today. Instead of being consumers, as we would otherwise be 24-7 in the marketplace, we become congregants. We are this because we are not that. All religion is a reckoning with our finitude. Each Sunday morning, instead of being out on the golf links or tennis courts or soccer fields competing with each other, we are here in the sanctuary cooperating with one another, which often proves the toughest challenge of all. We are putting our money in the collection plates, if we could find the collection plates, instead of dropping money on the brunch tab. We are singing songs we may or may not like, and somehow no one has even taken requests. We hear a sermon that may or may not make much sense to us. After the services, we suck on mystery hard candies, what flavor was that anyhow, and attend listening sessions, even when what we would really like are some answers to our questions. We do this time and again. Week after week at UU Wellesley Hills, we are continuously requesting, imparting, and receiving blessings. And once a year, we corral our companion creatures to take part in this curious process. Honestly, what could be more bizarre? Church is weird, and that is wonderful. As one of the flock here, you are very precious. You are known by name. I promise you, all of us have taken notice of what you are choosing to do with your one wild and sheepish, sheepish and wild life. It is a good life, and I commend you for it.